0: a new series of messages. We're going to be going through the book of Daniel. And so if you have your Bible and you want to go ahead and get a head start, you can turn there. Uh, We're going to look at Daniel chapter 1, verse number 1. If you're curious as to where it is, it's kind of harder to find, but you can go right to the middle of your Bible, turn right. And before you run into the book of Matthew, you will hit Daniel first. Uh, My page, my Bible is 829. My print is bigger which means that for a lot of you, because you have better eyesight, means that it'll probably be uh, less, uh, the numbers will be less. But anyway, Daniel chapter 1, verse number 1. Now, one thing I always enjoy in in stories and in movies, I love stories and movies that talk a lot about about courage. And I think part of the reason why is because I know that just in general, my nature is not to be courageous. And so uh, I like to, to see stories, watch stories about courage. And one of my all-time favorite movies about courage is the movie Braveheart. Now, every guy in here, I mean, every every red-blooded American, we love that movie. It's the only movie that I've almost cried in. I mean, I watched that movie, and I was like, that, you know, in, in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm sort of like William Wallace. Uh, not really. But uh, you remember at the part when it comes to the end of the movie, and he's trying to lead them to Scottish independence, And they have some victories, but he gets betrayed, he's arrested, and remember he's lying down, and they're they're getting ready to execute him, he's like on the rack. And they tell him, they say, if you will just simply deny everything that you've done, but then we'll make your death a whole lot easier, and if you don't, this is what we're going to do to you. And y'all, it was horrible. And so now I'm thinking, if it's me, and I'm laying there, I'm going to say, y'all, I made the biggest mistake of my life. You know, I'm not going to be courageous or heroic, but the, the, the part of the movie that was just so moving is as he knows he's getting ready to suffer, and he yells out, freedom. Just screams out freedom, and I'm sitting there, you know, I'm trying not to cry, and I'm watching, and I think that is awesome, because it is a picture of a man who saw something bigger than himself, and he was willing to die for it. That is courage. And for me, that is why, as I've been reading through the book of Daniel, I thought we are living in a time where we need to see more and more courage. The the, the series is called Daniel, Courageous Living. And, And as you read about Daniel, you'll see Daniel was a guy who was willing to be courageous, to stand and to hold to what he believed in. And it's my hope that we as believers will hang on to and be courageous in our living for the things of God because we are living in a world that needs to see believers being forceful in their beliefs, being courageous in their beliefs. Y'all, y'all we are involved in a spiritual war. And I really believe that for us, it's, we're at a point where we can no longer play Christian. And just sort of ride the fence and do whatever it is that we want to do. We have to be serious about our faith and begin the process of gearing up for battle. And I'm not talking about being a jerk and being aggressive and beating people over the head. I'm just talking about living out what we say we believe in. Now, I'm not saying this because I'm scared that, that God's going to somehow be defeated. I, mean, I read the Bible. I said, God's going to be victorious. I mean, we're told this in 1 John 4. Three and four. As a matter of fact, I'm just gonna to go to the very last part of verse number four. It says you are from God little children, and you've conquered them because the one who is in you, it's God, is greater than the one who is in the world. Now the Bible lets us know there will be a day when every every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's gonna happen. But in the meantime, right now, we're involved in a war, in a battle, and the world wants to do whatever it can in order to cause us to let go of our faith and to just simply go the way of the world. But I, I understand this. I believe that anytime you see somebody choose the world over God, it, it is just—it's shipwreck. It's like going—it's like going along in life, sailing along in life without any sail or anchor whatsoever. And that's what's happening in the book of Daniel that we're going to discover over the next, it's really going to be the next several months as we go through this book. And we're going to see that the that the world was constantly putting pressure on Daniel to abandon his faith and just live like everybody else. But Daniel said, you know what, I'm going to be courageous. I'm going to live for Jesus because I'm going to believe his promises that he gives. And that's the challenge for us today as well. And we're going to look today and see that the world's going to do whatever it can to cause us to compromise and Daniel points out to us there's another way it's to be courageous in our living and so we'll look in Daniel chapter 1 in just a few moments uh, just to give you a little background information what's happening here is the Babylonian kingdom at this time which is in modern day Iraq that they, they were the superpower of the day uh, they had a king there his name was Nebuchadnezzar have you all heard of that guy before? We go through Daniel, some of the stories, you know, there's Daniel and the lion's den. There's the fiery furnace stories. Some of my favorite stories in all the Bible. Nebuchadnezzar's the king. And Nebuchadnezzar was a, he was a, really, he's a a brilliant guy, even though he was a man that didn't follow after God. He was tough. He was smart. And he, he, he came into Israel. He took over Israel, destroyed the place. And then gathered up all the bright and best people in Israel and brought them back. And he brought them back to Babylon in order to get them to become like little Babylonians. You know, to remake them in their image. Now the problem with that is if these people from Israel, if they were followers of God, it meant they were being called to abandon their gods, their way of life, and began to follow after the ways of the Babylonians. And I look at that, and I think, oh my gosh. You know, this book is so old, and yet it's it's so relevant for today. So what the world does. The world's telling us, put aside your faith, you know, just relax and do what we do, and life will go so much easier for you. And so what the world does is it's, it's trying to seduce us as Christians to slowly begin to just let go of the God that we say that we believe in, so the question is, how does how does the world seduce us? And I'm going to share with you, this is going to surprise you a little bit. You might notice in your bulletin, there's going to be four points today, not three. Now you might say, no, the points are going to be the same length. They'll be shorter. We will get out of here before, you know, before you're too hungry. So what's the, what's the first way that the world tries to seduce the church? And I think this is one that really caught my attention as I was reading through the Scripture. By trying to get us to believe that there's no such thing, judgment. The world tries to seduce the church by saying there's no such thing as judgment. You can live and do what you want without any any personal ramifications whatsoever. Now look in verse number one of Daniel. It says, in the third year of the reign of a guy named Jehoiakim, he was the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and laid siege to it. Now, probably the biggest mantra that we have in in the church is this one. God is love. And I'm here to tell you, I totally agree with that statement. would it be terrible if I said, that is absolutely not true. That is true. The Bible says God is love. 1 John 4.8, it says that. It says God is love. we're told in John 3.16... For God so loved the world. You read all throughout Scripture, there is no doubt God loves people. And sometimes, I don't know why, but He does. But here's what's happened. We have perverted the view that God is loved so much that we say this. We say, God is so loving that He would never hold me accountable. God is so loving that he will allow me to live any way that I want to without any personal ramifications. Now, just as a regular person, I look at that and I say, I like that. uh, Nobody really enjoys discipline. I mean, I never woke up as a kid when I did something wrong saying, I hope Dad breaks out the belt and straightens me out today. I mean, who does that? Never thought that. And my whole thought process was I would like to I would like to be disobedient and never get in trouble for it. Nobody likes punishment. Nobody likes discipline. I mean, physically, I don't like discipline. You know, I'd like I'd like not to ever set my alarm. I, I would like to be able to eat and be lazy and eat potato chips all the time and be in great shape. I mean, wouldn't that be cool? Now it can be fun not to be disciplined but here's what I know in the long run it never pays off a life that is not disciplined as it goes on and on always is detrimental that's what was happening in the kingdom of Judah at this time and in verse number one you see it, there's a guy named Jehoiakim he was the king of Judah he was from a long list of kings who had been disobedient to God for years and they said we're going to live like we want to we're gonna act like we serve God, but behind the scenes, we're gonna go after all these other gods. We're gonna that we're gonna please ourselves physically, all these different things. And they did that without without really any shame. And part of the reason why is because they had the temple that was in Jerusalem, and of course you know about the temple. The temple is the place where God's presence dwelt in the Holy of Holies. And so they used the temple and they used the place where God lived. It's, it's, like, a, it's like a good luck charm. Yeah, God's not going to mess with us if He lives here, right? I mean, He's going to let us do what we want to. His presence is here. We built this building for Him. So that means that, you know, we kind of got a little deal with God. We'll live like we want to. We'll let you live here, and we're never going to get into trouble. He'll, he'll never let us endure judgment. But here's what's, here's what's interesting to me. It is impossible to be loving without discipline ever being a part of the equation. You cannot love and not be willing to discipline either. And of course for me, I'm coming from this as a parent. Whenever you see your child that is doing something that is detrimental in their life, if you love them, what are you going to do? You're going to correct them. I mean, right? I mean, if you love them, if you love them, are you going to just go, well, you know, I love them, but they need to do what they want to do. That, That is not love. Love is when you see something that can hurt someone, and you're going to do something about it to protect them. Now, let me try to give you an example. I have a friend of mine who last year was not feeling well. He went to the doctor. They discovered he had cancer. Now, the doctors, I Sit down together and say, you know, we really like this guy. We don't want to hurt his feelings. We don't want him to get nervous. So we're not going to tell him anything. We're just going to let him live like he wants to. But no way they're going to do that. They got together with him. They, they talked to him. They said, This is what you have. We're going to do, we're going to do chemotherapy, we're going to shrink the tumors, and then we're going to do radical surgery if they shrink enough to cut those tumors out. Because if we don't, it'll kill you. Now, guys, whatever I in scripture, I see that the people of Judah were spiritually diseased, but they were not responding to any of the teachings God had been giving them for years. And so what, what does God do? And I love these people. And because I love them, I'm going to do radical surgery. I'm going to judge them to get the mess out of their lives so that they can be restored and be healed. was that a fun process? I mean, that's horrible. But God was willing to judge because he loves. Now, I'm not a glutton for punishment. I don't like to be punished. So my my question is, well, I would like to avoid this. How can I avoid it? One lesson Jesus says over and over again in Scripture is repent. Turn away from your sin. Follow trust him. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Guys, here's the deal. God will hold his people accountable. And so therefore, it is important for us to understand we belong to God. And if we are going to be in good standing with Him, then we are to confess our sins and turn away from them and say, "God, I am going to trust You." But the world tries to tries to sucker us and tell us, "Ah, but there's there's no there's no judgment." And when I look in Scripture, I say, well, there it is. Now, how else does the world try to seduce us? Well, it tries to deconstruct our faith, it tries to change our faith. It, it, look in verse number. Verse number two. It says, The Lord handed Jehoiakim, king of Judah, over to him, Nebuchadnezzar, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And Nebuchadnezzar carried them to the land of Babylon, to the house of his God, and put the vessels in the treasury of his God. Okay, now what's important about all this? Well, whenever the Babylonians took over Jerusalem, they went to the temple. And in the temple, when you read, like in Deuteronomy and some of the other books, you'll see they built all these gold, like candelabras and all these wash basins. I mean they're made out of pure gold And so they're all over the temple So whenever the Babylonians came in there They said we're going to take that stuff And so they, they took all that stuff out of the temple They destroyed it And then they took all the good stuff And they put it in their temple Now so what does that mean What they're doing is they're trying to deconstruct The faith of these people They were telling them You think your God's big Look what we just did We robbed your God We took his stuff and we put it in our temple, therefore that means our God is bigger and better than your God, so get rid of your God and forget about it. They were deconstructing their faith. And from a worldly perspective, I look at that and go, That makes sense to me. I mean, the house of God was robbed and God didn't intervene and do anything. You'd have to you have to admit, I mean, at least I do, it looks like God's lost. It looks like that their God is out of date. And in our, our world wants to do that to us. It wants to say, your God is out of date. How's it do it? Well, there's science. You know, science shows that, that God didn't create anything. It just happened by accident. It's just weird. that they say that, so what they're doing is they, by saying that, they're saying Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It's not true. So if the first line of the Bible is not true, then how can you believe any of the rest of it? So what that means is that morality is very subjective. You can live like you want to. So the world tells us your beliefs need to be modified. So what's happening to Daniel. Your beliefs need to be modified. How does Daniel respond to that? This is what's so interesting about Daniel. Daniel did not allow circumstances to dictate how he's going to live, how he's going to believe. That, that is so courageous. I'm not going to allow circumstances to dictate how I live. I'm going to trust that God is true, that God is righteous. It reminds me of Moses in the Old Testament. We're talking about Moses in Hebrews 11, 24 through 26. It says, by faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the short-lived pleasures of sin. For he considered the reproach because of the Messiah to be greater wealth treasures of Egypt. Since his attention was on the reward, he was looking to the future. He trusted the promises of God. a guy named George Schultz who was the Secretary of State during the, during the Reagan administration, and he said whenever ambassadors were being appointed, he'd always have an interview with them, and they'd come into his office. He had a globe by his desk. He said, show me the country that you serve. He said they'd walk over there and they'd spin the globe and then they'd put their finger on whatever country they're going to. And he said they're always right. He said I was always, you know, it's always good to know, where, you know, where you're serving. Uh, but he was interviewing one guy that was going to be the new ambassador to Japan. It was a friend of his. He put him to the same test. He said, "I want you to show me the country that you, that you serve." And he walks over the globe and he spins it around and he puts his finger right on the United States. And he said, "This is my country." this is the country I serve. Schultz said, I was so stunned. He said, I I use it all the time. He said, instead of me having people point out stuff, he said, they'd walk in and I'd go, listen, this is your country. He said, you're going somewhere else. But never forget, this is your country. And this is who you serve. The lesson here, as I read that, was very simple. Remember who you are as believers. And remember whose you are. God is faithful, even when circumstances are bleak, even whenever you seem to be in a foreign land. God says, remember who you are and remember whose you are. Don't hit your wagon to popular opinion. Hit your wagon to the truth. The truth stands for all time. But what is truth? Jesus is truth. Joshua twenty three fourteen says, I'm now going the way of all the earth. This is what Joshua said. He said, and you know with all your heart and all your soul that none of the good promises the Lord your God made to you has failed. Everything was fulfilled for you. Not one promise of God has failed. Guys, do not give in to the world. The world is empty. God is faithful The world tries to seduce us. It says, hey, there's no judgment. It says it tries to deconstruct our faith. The world does this too. It tries to indoctrinate us into their culture. It's like, hey, just become more and more like us. That's what happens in our text. Look at verse 3. The king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his court officials, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and from the nobility, young men without any physical de- defect, good-looking, suitable for instruction and all wisdom, knowledgeable, perceptive, and capable of serving in the king's palace, and to teach them the Chaldean language and literature king assigned them daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine that he drank and they were to be trained for 3 years at the end of that time they were to serve in the king's court okay nebuchadnezzar's a brilliant leader he gets his right-hand man says we got these smart guys coming in from a different country they're our captives he said i want you to begin to change them so that they'll serve me instead of serving home and what he does is he begins to he begins to seduce them in two different ways he seduces them intellectually and he seduces them physically that's what the world does. Intellectually, you'll see, he said, I want you to give them all the Babylonian literature, Chaldean literature. He said, you know, indoctrinate them and all the stuff that we know. I mean, they'd be reading that stuff going, man, look at this country. This, you know, it was the home of one of the seven wonders of the world, the hanging gardens of Babylon. This is a, this was a sharp place, big time city. They had to be impressed. They're, you know, they're from Jerusalem, which was not some huge metropolitan center. And so they're they're reading all the literature. These guys are smart. And then they they tried to seduce them physically. What they did is they gave them food from the king's table. They gave them the best wine to drink. Now you could say, well, if some of these guys were patriots, they loved their country, that would be a hard pill for them to swallow. And it would be, but here's how it was a little easier to swallow. You have to remember that whenever Babylon, they, they laid siege to Jerusalem for 18 months. It was so bad nothing could come in and nothing could come out of the country for 18 months. Ezekiel 5.10 says the siege was so bad that people just simply to survive were practicing cannibalism. That ain't good. Because so that's going on. Now all of a sudden they come in, they come into Babylon as captives and the king says give them the best food. Do you think that would be enticing? They've been starving to death. And now the king says, I'm going Whatever it is that you want, it is yours. Now, the Babylonians knew they could provide, if they provided these men with security and comfort, they would be willing to throw their beliefs out the door and take on new ones. Man, the same thing is true today. If we get comfort and security, we are so willing to let go of the things that we say are important to us. It's the same game still played. That the world tells us, listen, if you don't hang on so tightly to your God, life can be a lot smoother. You know what? It, it can be. As a matter of fact, it will be if you don't hang on to the teachings of Scripture. Let me give you an example. Hobby Lobby is a private store that's owned by a very, very, a very solid Christian family. My our family knows that family. Now, This family has made a decision. They're they're very devout Christians. They said, we don't want to provide health care. We don't want to pay for health care that has abortion. That's part of it. We don't pay for that because of our religious beliefs. Now, we'll have other birth control things, but not that one. Well, they've been sued. And now that case is before the Supreme Court. Now, life could go a lot smoother for the Green family if they just give in. So, you know, it's not worth the fight. It'd be a lot smoother. You know what? If they lose that case, you know what's probably going to happen? they lose that case, they're going to shut down the stores. They've already made that command we don't serve man, we serve God. Now, Israel at this time, they were in captivity. Not because God was weak and he couldn't protect them. They were in captivity because they compromised and said, we are no longer going to just follow God. We're going to try some other stuff out. They got on the quicksand. Daniel said, that's a mistake, and he went back to the solid rock. Was a wise decision. Now the world tries to get us, tries to seduce us to compromise our faith by saying there's no judgment, by trying to deconstruct our faith, by indoctrinating us in the culture. And here's the last one. It tries to get us to give up on our faith by telling us or by seeking to steal our identity. They try to steal who we are. Uh, verses 6 and 7, the last two verses I'll read. It says, Among from them, among them, and this is from the, the wise. Young men they took out of Jerusalem, from the descendants of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief officials gave them new names. You're gonna you're gonna be more familiar with these names. Daniel's name new name was called Belteshazzar. The other three guys are given new names: Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Y'all, y'all familiar with those names? Next few weeks, one of my favorite stories of the Bible: the fiery furnace. Cool story. I mean, you know, not that not the part they're gonna murder them, but it's a great story. Uh, another great story we're going to talk about is Daniel, the lion's den. Okay, so th- these are the four guys. They all, they're all friends. They're buddies. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and this guy named Daniel. They gave them new names. They stole their identity. They're trying to steal their identity. You know, stealing identities is something that's very common today. In the United States of America, they said that typically about there's about 10 million people a year that have their identity stolen. Now, there's a lot of bad things that come with that, of course. Some of you might have experienced this before, where you have bought things that you really didn't buy. Somebody stole your identity and did it, and there's a price to pay. Um, one thing that's come out of this is identities being stolen is that people are actually, there's, the crimes are being committed in somebody else's name, and the guys who were innocent are getting arrested. I read a story about a guy named Erie Salgado, moved to moved to Florida, his identity was stolen and as soon as he got to Florida he was arrested for being a cocaine dealer <laughs> he wasn't and so he gets arrested he's telling them he's like i i don't do this what are you talking about and they're like i have all these records somebody stole his identity used his name and so when he comes into town he gets arrested he's in jail for several days the sheriff finally gets to the bottom of it apologizes to him and lets him go and he says then there's there's all this identity theft that's happening and he said and there are people because their identities have been stolen Serving prison time, I start thinking about that. I was like, you know what? When we allow our identity to be stolen, who we are in Jesus, man, there, there is, there's, there's time to pay. There's a problem that comes with that. Well, how is our identity being stolen? Well, the, the world comes along and tells us, hey, your faith is fine, but the God you serve, it's, it doesn't matter what God you serve, all of our gods are the same. We're all worshiping the same God ultimately. All paths lead to God. So there are many of us who, who listen to that. And we buy into it. We allow our identity of what Scripture says to be stolen because it's it's more palatable. And I don't offend anybody. We can live like we want to, and we're all going to end up being nice and, nice and happy. Now, here's the problem with that. Nowhere is that kind of theology taught in Scripture. It's not biblical. Acts 4.12 says, there is no other name under heaven by which man must be saved. The Ten Commandments. What the Ten Commandments tell us? There's only one God. You serve Him, and you serve Him alone. You don't have any other gods that you put before you. Now, the people of, of Jerusalem, or the people of Judah, they found themselves in captivity because they allowed their identity. Be stolen. They begin to worship and serve other gods. Christians, today in our environment, we cannot allow our identity to be stolen. We have a world that is dying. And it's going to hell. And whenever we allow our identity to be stolen, guys, we are, we are not any kind of stopgap measure for people. And you see, our identity in Jesus, it did not come cheap. don't let it be stolen. Jesus went to a cross, was crucified, and he died that he might redeem you, that he might allow you to have communion with God. We have been bought at a price, and that price is the blood of Jesus. The world wants to do whatever it can to get us 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be serious, be alert, your adversary. The devil is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. The world wants to devour faith. Christians, we, we have to be on guard. Our world needs to see courageous living. We see Christians who love God more than the world. The question is, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and say, I'm willing to give my life for the truth of God, and when it comes down to it, I don't care what the world says, I'm going to live for Jesus, we're going to see our world change, that is the kind of believers that we need to see. we can't play Christian anymore. We can't ride the fence anymore and try to play both sides. Guys, we have to make a choice. And there's only one choice that leads to